listen, ladies, he's happily married, so <laughs> chill. Uh, so hey, my name's Adam. If this is your first time here, uh, we're in a series called Rewind, where we are looking at uh, songs that are not necessarily Christian, kind of looking, see what they say. Uh, a lot of times we're finding that uh, there's some interesting uh, truth buried in songs that is, you know, they're not necessarily Christian. So that song was called Hell of a View. If that offends you, heck of a view. That's uh, what we meant to say, totally. Um, so listen, here, I like a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, I'll say that. I'll also say I picked that song. That was my choice. But man, I just, <laughs> I don't like country. <laughs> I'm sorry. It makes no sense either. I, growing up for most of my life, two sides of my house were flanked by cornfields. You would think that maybe I would have been into it, but now middle school is... It's like Bone Thugs and Harmony, you know, like that. I went the total opposite direction. See you at the crossroads. Um. Can we add that one? I, we can't pull that off. No, sorry. Sorry. Maybe later. Uh, so uh, obviously that song was, a, was about a relationship. Uh, if you're familiar with it, you know that for sure. But the part of the song that intrigued me is uh, the idea of risk. So if you, if you listen to the chorus, it says, this ain't for everybody, toes hanging off the ledge, like we got nothing to lose. Uh, it ain't always heaven, baby, this living on the edge, you holding me, holding you. Oh, that's a hell of a view. Um, by the way, it, it, it's so cliche, I could not, I, I did try to find a country song because Chris was built for that. I was just like, man, we got to get him up there and got to let him do something like that. Uh, but one of my criteria was to like not have a country song that mentions a pickup truck, but it was a Bronco. Does that, is that, I don't know, I couldn't do it. Um, so the, the, obviously the context of the song centered around a relationship, but I want to talk about risk in general. Like what role does risk play in the life of a Christian? Um, like, like how should we think about risk. Uh, so growing up in church, and I, I did, uh, I, I got the impression, and, and maybe this was just me, you grew up in church, maybe, maybe you had a different impression, but for me, um, my impression was that risk was like not supposed to be a regular part of the Christian's life. Um, that, that risk was something to be avoided if possible. It was a necessary evil if you experience it at all, that we should try to minimize risk as much as possible. And again, I, I just got the impression. I don't remember like a specific teaching on that. Maybe it was a little bit, you know, the, the, the old Baptist church, like don't gamble kind of a thing. Like maybe it was a piece of that, but it always felt like risk was not something we were supposed to pursue, but endure. It wasn't necessarily sinful, but it was foolish. So you shouldn't take risks. So, this idea of living toes on the ledge, this, this taking risks in life. Should, should we do that or should we avoid the edge as Christians? Um, I want to look at a story. It's kind of a micro story today about a guy named Jonathan. Good name. Um, Jonathan is the son of Saul, the king of Israel. Uh, and in the, in the story here, Israel is at war with the Philistines. Uh, if you know anything about Jonathan's dad, Saul, he's not the greatest king that Israel has. Um, the war with the Philistines is not going well, specifically because of his dad. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens. Um, Israel's outnumbered. Uh, the enemy has superior military technology. 
and the morale of the Israelite army is super low. And uh, the Philistines are kind of on the move and Israel's just kind of standing still waiting for them to come at them. So the Philistines are taking key positions on the battlefield, one of which is in 1 Samuel uh, 13, 23. It says this, the pass at Michmash had meanwhile been secured by a contingent of the Philistine army. So uh, this point, this, this pass is a really important place on the battlefield. Uh, and, and if you know anything about war, not that I do, I play video games, that's as good as, as good it gets for me. Um, but there are strategic locations on the battlefield that are more important than other ones, right? Uh, and usually they come at like transition points. You know what I'm saying? So, so a bridge is a really important point on a battlefield. A, a pass is a really important point on a battlefield because those things represent a transition from, you know, one side of a river to the other or one side of a mountain range to the other. They're really important. So a wise leader, a wise general will work really hard to secure those positions. They'll be a little more on alert at those transition points. And I think that's true in life as well, isn't it? There's those transition points that are really important in life. It's those transition points where you're more likely to be attacked. Satan smells out an opportunity when you're in transition. The enemy wants to attack you as you're going from one thing to another. I mean, think about it in your life. Think back over those transition points. About to get married, you're going to be under attack. About to have a, a kid, about to be under attack, uh, about to move away, get a new job, uh, graduate, make some major change in your life. Those are the points where Satan kind of sees an opportunity and he wants to come in and, and wreck havoc. So if you're at a transition, about to be in a transition, in the middle of a transition, eyes up, stay sharp. Uh, that is a point where Satan likes to come in and mess with you. So some battles are more important than others. Satan knows this and that, man, he will, he will try to hit you with those transition points. So that's what the Philistines did. They came in and they, they hit a transition point. So they kind of own this pass. It's an important one. It's a strategic location. Uh, so in 1 Samuel 14, 1, here's what happens. Here's where Jonathan enters the scene. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. So a little bit about Jonathan, in case you didn't, I don't know if you know Jonathan very well. He's prince of Israel. Obviously, he's heir apparent to the throne, uh, but he's not entitled. I really like this guy. He doesn't wield his silver spoon. You know what I'm saying? Like he actually... um, he cares more about what God is doing in the world than his own position and his own status. And you'll see that if you read his story, he, he's like willingly going to give his throne up to David. Um, so he really just cares more about what God's doing than, than what his own life is. Uh, but the, my favorite part of Jonathan is that he's young um, and he's, he's idealistic. So he, he still sees the world more as he wants it to be than as it is. You know, you know how that is? Um, he, he's got that, that chip on his shoulder where he wants to try crazy things. He's not like experienced enough to know that he shouldn't try some things. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm realizing in my life. It's weird. Um, you can ask Mosaic staff. I've, now that I've been pastor for 10 years, I keep dropping that. Like, well, in my 10 years of experience, I just keep saying it. Uh, it's like my new like, card I can play. Um, <laughs> But, but I've, and experience is a good thing, right? I think we would all say experience is a good thing. Uh, but what I've, what I'm starting to realize is I, I kind of have this battle inside my own mind is, is experience is like an ally of wisdom, but it can be an enemy of faith. 
It can be a very big ally of wisdom, but man, it really can hurt faith. Uh, so I, I worked it out the other day. I looked up the average lifespan in America. Have you done this? It's awful. Uh, 78. 78 is the, is the average lifespan. So, so if you divide by two, that's 39. Um, and I'm 37. So in two years, I'm going to have a midlife crisis, just so you know, warning you. Um, I, and I didn't realize, I guess I didn't realize that this is probably the beginning of a midlife crisis, right? When you start to realize like, oh my gosh, am I halfway done? Like, that's crazy. Uh, so I do kind of stand at this middle and I look forward and look backward. I'm used to being the, the young guy. I'm used to being the guy with the chip on my shoulder. I'm used to being the one who has that idealistic kind of edge to me. Tell me it won't work and watch me do it anyways. You know, like that kind of thing. So like I'm used to this. But now as I have now got a little bit more experience, I find myself fighting in my own head. To like not want to take those big leaps of faith because of my experience. And maybe you, if you're older than me, um, I'm sorry. Was, maybe you've experienced this too, where you, um, when you're presented with something that maybe when you were younger, you was, used to like go after, you start to play the, the computer simulation in your mind. You don't have to actually do it. You know what will happen, right? Because you have all the experience. You can, you can say, oh yeah, I've tried that before. Oh yeah, I know how this will turn out. I don't even have to take the leap of faith. I already know how it would turn out before I even take it. So you talk yourself out of it before you ever do it because of your experience. And I... I am uh, a lot wiser than I used to be, but I, I find myself slowly internally retracting from a desire to take leaps of faith, and I want to fight that. I want to fight that. I don't want to let my experience drown my faith. And uh, so, so what, what happens in this story, what, what Jonathan actually does here, anyone with experience would have shut him down. Anybody with experience would have shut Jonathan down in a heartbeat here. If this would have went to committee, it had got voted down that he would not have done this. If anybody with any amount of military experience would have heard his plan, they'd have been like, dude, that is dumb. Do not do that. And I, I don't want to get to that point uh, in my life where I'm, I'm too smart to have faith, if that makes sense. Uh, so here's what happens. Verse four. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sinah. Uh, the cliff to the north was in front of Michmash. The one to the south was in front of Gibeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a strategic position that they're trying to go take, and that means it's hard to get to, right? If it were easy to get to, it wouldn't be strategic. The reason it's a valuable place for the Philistines to be is because it's not easy to get to. It's not easy to attack. So the closer they get, the harder it is to get there. I think, again, that's one of those things I'm learning in life. And I, I think I've pressed on this before with us here at Mosaic. And I want to keep pressing um, the idea that I think a lot of people struggle in their life with is that like when things get hard, you think that means God wants you to like turn around. Like that's evidence that, that I must be going the wrong way. But everything I've seen in the Bible, like almost every single story, it's the exact opposite. When things get hard, it's because you're getting closer to the thing that God wanted. So, man, I, I just want to really press on you there. And I, here's the funny part. I've been preaching that point for 10 years. Um, <laughs> but, but I even struggle with this. Just the other day I was doing this, I was praying. Uh, so so you, you, I hope you know, we're pursuing uh, buying a building. And uh, if you don't, short version is that we, we fasted and prayed for 21 days in the beginning of the year. One of the things we prayed for was a home. And then just four days after we were done with that fast, I got a phone call that this building in downtown Wandsworth became available. 
And by the way, even a little side note, extra part of the story I learned this week, I was talking to the guy who called me that day and he said he was actually supposed to call me that Sunday and waited four days. And I'm like, dude, you ruined the perfect story. (laughs) (laughs) Supposed to get the phone call in the end. The day I ate food should have been the day, but whatever. Um, But how crazy is that though? That even that, like, just like that story in Daniel where he prayed for 21 days and then boom, God shows up. It was like exactly the same thing. So we we see God has moved in this crazy way. Uh, So we as a church are pursuing a strategic position, right? That's why we want to go there because it's strategic. It's a a good place for us to be. And I pray, so I, I walk, I don't know if you've seen the creepy guy walking downtown a lot, but I walk around the building, I circle it, and I pray, which is probably weird for people who see me. Some crazy dude circling the building, muttering to himself is probably a weird sight for a lot of people, Um, but that's what I'm doing. I'm praying, Um, and I was praying, and I was doing a little bit of whining to God. I don't know if you guys do that. I whine a lot, Um, and I was like, God, you made, you like, you worked to make this available, which by itself is a miracle that this building should not be available. You worked to have it offered to us. That should not have happened. You, you like worked miracles here. You moved with our leadership team for them to be radically generous to, to kick off raising funds. And now I feel like we're hitting this part where it's hard. And I was kind of whining to God, like, God, man, you know, the banks just take forever. Our fundraising after the leash is just not going as well as I wanted to. Like, and I was kind of like, what's up, God? Like, what are you doing? Like, did you remember me? Like you did this thing and you got to like, keep going, God. Like I was kind of doing that. And I, I felt God nudge me. I don't, I don't hear God's voice. I'm, I don't know if I'm not on that level or whatever, but I don't, I don't have that. Um, but I do feel God nudged me sometimes, and I feel like he, he nudged me and said, well, did, hey, hey did, did you not think this was going to be hard? And I was like, no. <laughs> it was easy at first. <laughs> and then he's like, do you, think, do you think Satan wants you guys to meet in this building? And I was like, ooh, yeah, probably not. Because if I were him, <laughs> I wouldn't want us in there either. <laughs> That's a strategic position. I can see God moving in a lot of crazy ways in that place. So, of course, Satan has moved his troops and surrounded it. Um, so even I, so like I said, I'm, I'm trying not trying to be hard on you. Like when you're, you're going towards God's will, it's going to get harder. And here I am whining about that. Like I do the same thing. But, but man, of course, when you're going towards what God wants in your life, it's going to get harder. The battle is going to get fiercer. So be praying about that, by the way, as we continue down this path. It's, I believe God has moved. I, want to, I, I believe he's going to keep moving, but I think we got to stay on path here. we got to go between these two cliffs to this strategic location. Closer you get to God's will, the road will get rockier. So here's what happens. Verse 6. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. There's Jonathan doing a little trash talk. He says to his armor bearer, listen, this is, this is what's next. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. Just imagine this scene. So Jonathan is out crawling through the woods with one other guy, his armor bearer, which it sounds like he has no choice. That guy has to be there, right? Like he's his armor bearer. This was not like, hey, do you want to come? Like, no, you're my armor bearer. You're coming with me. And they're crawling through the woods. And there's an outpost, which we know from later in the story, there's at least 20 guys at this outpost, probably a lot more, but the minimum is 20. Two verses 20. And what did Jonathan say? God told me we should go fight those guys. No. Hey, uh, he showed me in a dream we should go, we should go try to take that outpost. Nope. Hey, uh, I, I saw this sign earlier today that, that God showed me we should, we should go fight those. No. What did he say? 
Perhaps. Perhaps. I'm sorry, what did you say? Like if I'm the armor bearer, what did you, what? Perhaps the Lord will help us. Every commentary I read this week said that the way Jonathan worded this showed that he had no idea what would happen. No idea. Perhaps. He was pursuing a perhaps. He was pursuing a perhaps. This is why I love this story. I love the story because I actually think that it's unusual to know exactly what God wants you to do in your life. And I'm not, let me clarify, let me give me a little, little asterisk down at the bottom of the, the sermon here. When I say pursuing a perhaps, I'm not talking about things that God clearly said to do or not to do. Those, you got the answer already. It's in black and white. If the Bible says not to do it, don't go, hmm, maybe I should pursue that. No, the answer is no. He already said, he said, don't do it, don't do it. So, so let me just clarify if some of you are like, man, maybe I should try this thing. If it's, if it's straight up in the Bible, it says not to do it, don't do that. Or if it says to do it, do it. I'm not talking about that. There's my asterisks. But I think in the other things, you know, those other things, the the parts of your life that aren't specifically spelled out in the Bible. I don't know how much your life is that. You don't have a book that's named after you, right? Hey, take this career. Hey, marry that girl. Hey, uh, get this job. Live in this city. None of that. It's not in there, right? So in those decisions, I actually think it's pretty rare to know, know, know God's will. Like 100%. I think it's rare. So we have a lot of times in our life where we're, I don't know. What percentage can you be if you don't have God specifically saying to you, hey, live here, do this, marry her, do that? Like, what percentage sure can you be that it's God's will? Like, 60? I don't know. 75? Like, what are you? You're not going to know, no. That's exactly what God wants you to do. So most of the time, whether you want to admit it or not, you're pursuing a perhaps, Right? You don't, you don't want to say that because it sounds wrong. And again, if you grew up like me, you're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to take risks. But that's what Jonathan is like overtly doing here. He's saying, hey, I'm going to pursue a perhaps. I feel this nudge from God. I feel a pull from God. I feel a spark of inspiration in my soul. I feel a magnetic twitch in my spirit. Um, but I still have to work through, like, is this God or is it the pizza I ate last night? Like, he's still working through that. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that's normal. I just want to say, I want to free you up from feeling like there's some elite level Christians who pray three times and then they're like, all right, here's what God told me. Let me download this thing to you. I think that's super rare. Maybe I, was, I might have just broke up secret pastor code by telling you that. Um, but I think it's super rare. It's not obvious what God wants. And what if? What if some, sometimes when we're waiting on God, God's waiting on us? Because that's what's happening in this story. So the Philistines are moving, man. They're, 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 their war machine is moving their pieces and Israel is flat-footed just saying, uh, hope, hope God shows up. And the whole time Israel is waiting for God to show up, God's waiting for somebody to step up. And that's what Jonathan does here. Jonathan's like, hey, let's, let's do something. Let's just do something. Hey, per- perhaps the Lord will, will help us if we, if we just go fight those guys. He just steps up when everyone else was waiting. I think sometimes we're so afraid to make the wrong decision that we don't make any. You're so afraid to step off this golden path that you think there is that you don't even take the next step in your life. Do you know who Diedrich Bonhoeffer is? You've been a Christian for a while. He's pretty famous. He wrote some some deep things. Um, So he was a pastor in Germany during World War II. 
And uh, he stood against the Nazis and everything they were doing. Ended up actually participating in an assassination attempt of Hitler that failed. And then he actually was hung for his resistance to the Nazi regime. So uh, he was kind of in the thick of it. Probably very difficult to make decisions in that. But uh, listen to what he, he wrote in a letter uh, to some other churches. He says this, A decision must be made at some point. And it's no good waiting indefinitely for a sign from heaven that will solve the difficulty without further trouble. But to procrastinate simply because you're afraid of erring seems to me almost to run counter to love. To delay or fail to make a decision may be more sinful than to make the wrong decision out of faith and love. Ooh, that's good. Let me, let me read it again. Just see, so I'll read it faster, but you gotta, you gotta catch this. A decision must be made at some point. It's no good waiting indefinitely for a sign from heaven to solve the difficulty without further trouble. Stop waiting. To procrastinate simply because you're afraid of erring seems to me almost run counter to love. To delay or fail to make decisions may be more sinful than making the wrong decisions out of faith and love. Stop thinking that it's, it's like God's will for you to wait if you don't know what to do. Maybe he wants you to move. Stop thinking like this is safe, like not moving is safe. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's the most dangerous thing you could do is just sit there. Maybe God wants you to move. What if God's not worried about you making the wrong choice? What if God's not worried about you making the wrong choice? What, what if God's so big, check this out. What if God's so big that he's unbothered by your imperfect decision-making skills? Do you realize, like, why do we make God so small? Like, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid God's going to be up in heaven going, oh my gosh, they did what? <laughs> what am I going to do with that now? Your whole life's ruined. Like, what do you really think God's that small? Yeah, like, come on. Is he not big enough that even if you make the boneheaded decision, he's like, all right, we can do, we can work with that. Oh, you're going to go that way. All right, well, we could have went that way, but that's all right. I can do something here too. You really don't think God's creative enough, wise enough, big enough to deal with your mistakes? That's crazy. That's a really small God. What if, what if God was watching from heaven, Jonathan crawling through the woods and God's going, man, this is so stupid. <laughs> but you know what? I love your heart. Go get him, man. Go get him. Like what if God was cheering him on, even though it was stupid, even though Jonathan, I, did you read anywhere in there where he prayed or anything like that? No, he just said, perhaps the Lord will help us. And I think God was in heaven. Yeah, you go get that. You go pursue that, that perhaps, Jonathan. What if God's excited about that stuff? One of my favorite Mark Batterson quotes is God honors bold prayers and bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers and bold prayers honor God. What if God smiles when we take a risk for him? Man, maybe our whole philosophy needs to shift. There's this story about Alexander the Great. Uh, I guess, well, not later in his life. He didn't live all that long, but he had a general who was... Uh, approaching him after years of service, asking if he would pay for the wedding of his daughter, asking Alexander. And Alexander told him, yeah, go, go and obtain the funds for my treasurer. Well, he did. And then the treasurer comes to Alexander and um, he's ticked because he's complaining that the general is taking advantage of Alexander's generosity because he asked for a crazy amount of money, like more money than any wedding has ever been spent in Greece ever. I guess he was just like, he asked for something crazy. So the treasure's ticked. He wants Alexander to like, you know, call the guy in there and yell at him. So Alexander thinks about it for a minute and he waves his hand dismissively and he says, grant him the request in full. 
and the treasure. You know, those people who are like the rule followers, like the ones with the, with the, with the pen and the paper, and he's like trying to do all the numbers. He's like ticked. He's like, what? And Alexander says this, my general pays me two compliments. One, he believes I'm rich enough to afford his request. And two, I'm generous enough to grant it. In those two things, he honors me. Ooh, that's, he's a baller, right? <laughs> that's, that's Godfather level right there. What if that's the way, what if, if that's Alexander, who is definitely one of the most powerful men in history, but compare that to who God is. What if God has that same mentality? Ask me for big things. Believe that I'm strong enough to do those things. Believe that I'm rich enough to provide those things. And in actually asking those things and actually pursuing those things, you honor him. Not by holding back, but by actually stepping into it, leaning into it, expecting God to move in a big way. What if those kind of things honor God? Stop acting like you're doing God a favor by praying small prayers. Like, like he's like, oh, thank God they only asked for that. Like, I don't have enough energy to do the big thing. Like, why are you doing that? He's God. He can do anything. I'm preach, preaching to myself right now. I've been doing that for like a month. All right, Lord, so you're not going to do that. Could you at least do? And I'm like, Adam, come on, man. Like, God is big. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep pursuing the perhaps. So here's what happens. He's talking to his armor bearer, right? So in verse 7, his armor bearer responds, Do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. So he's got a ride or die friend here. I love that, man. He's just like, what? Your plan is crazy? All right, let's do it anyway. Like he's just right there with him. So yeah, you need somebody like that who's willing to take that step of faith to leap with you. He's a good friend. Maybe he's just paid to be. It's hard to say, but it seems like he's ready to go here. Uh, So verse eight, all right, then Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll, we'll kill you, then we'll stop and we won't go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the sign that the Lord will help us defeat them. Okay, so let's all just state the obvious here. This is a terrible battle plan, right? (laughs) Terrible. Like, I, again, I'm, I'm not, like, I have no military background. I have a camouflage shirt on. This is as good as it gets for me. Um, but I know that, like, one of your strategic advantages is, is your enemy not seeing you. And Jonathan's like, we're going we're gonna to get out from the camouflage and go, hey, guys, like, that's actually his plan. He wants them to see them. And then he says, well, if, if they say to stay there or we'll kill you, we, we'll back off. But if they taunt us, we're going to go get them. Like that's, again, you get that little, just that young, that little edge on his shoulder. Like, yeah, if they, if they say they want to fight, let's give it to them. It's just like that unrefined, you got a C minus in math, but he's like, you know, two versus 20 doesn't work, Jonathan, but he's still, he's ready to go. And again, I, like, don't allow your smarts to talk you out of doing something for God. I think uh, I was just listening to this thing this week. It was like a leadership thing. And the guy was talking about when you have ideas, when they're, um, when they're baby ideas, like that you haven't had the idea for very long, he said the, the risk is that you can how the idea to death. You can how it to death. If you, and, and you know this, like I don't know if you have, maybe you are this person, but, but I have people in my life who if I tell them an idea too early, they will how it to death. They will how it to death. They will ask me a million questions about an idea that just was born today. Like leave the poor thing alone. Let it breathe for a minute. Let it grow for a minute. So don't do that thing. I tell you what, if, what if his armor bearer had done that? Well, Jonathan, how are we going to get up the hill? How are we going to defeat all those guys up there? What, like he could have how, 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 and backed away from it. Don't do that. Let, let it breathe for just 
a minute. Let that faith grow if that's what God's nudging you towards. So here's what happens, verse 11. When the Philistines saw them coming, that was part of the plan, uh, they shouted, look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. That sounds like it's from a movie, doesn't it? But that's really what they said. Come on up. Oh, oh, so then Jonathan says, come on, climb right behind me. So Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, start climbing up the hill for the Lord will help us defeat them. So A little biblical trash talk going on here. The Philistines are running their mouth. Jonathan doesn't respond. He moves. That's a little side note in in life. I don't know if you, it's in my experience, it's the quiet ones you got to watch out for. (laughs) The ones running their mouths usually don't accomplish much. It's the quiet ones who are just going to work. They're the ones you got to watch out to. So uh, Philistines call down. Jonathan starts to climb up. Verse 13. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his arm bearer and killed those who came, and his arm bearer killed those who came behind him. They killed some 20 men in all. Their bodies were scattered over half an acre. Then check this out, verse 15. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including uh, even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then, an earthquake struck, and everyone was terrified. So the whole Philistine army freaks out. So two men take down 20. Panic breaks out, not just at this strategic point. The strategic point is is gold now. It's wide open, but beyond that, not just the outposts, but the other outposts and the other raiding parties, the panic starts to spread. And then an earthquake hits. What, What are the odds an earthquake hits? Right as soon as Jonathan took initiative, boom, an earthquake hits. Right as soon as the Philistines feel a little bit of fear in them that, uh uh-oh, Israel's not going to lay down. They're not going to hide in their holes anymore. Somebody actually stood up to us. And that that little pang of fear, and then boom, the earth starts to shake. And they go, "Uh uh-oh, and they recognize what's happening. God moved right as soon as Jonathan took initiative. When Jonathan pursued a perhaps, God shows up and flexes in only a way God can. By the way, for you planners, could Jonathan have planned, hey, when the earthquake hits at 937, that's when we're going to go. That's what you want, isn't it? You want some kind of guarantee of some strategic move of God, but sometimes you're not going to know that. You just have to ride out there in faith and pray that God shows up when you need him to. Jonathan by himself in this situation, he gets beat down immediately, right? 20 guys take him out. Or at best, he plays superhero and maybe he takes them out. Maybe he takes the outpost. But when God shows up, not only is the outpost fall, but the entire Philistine army melts away. If you read the rest of the story, uh, Jonathan's daddy, Saul, he's like doing something else. And he's like, what's that noise? And they hear, and, you know, they feel the earthquake and they see the Philistines actually start fighting each other. And they step in and they just get this crazy victory. All because his son decided to pursue a perhaps. So next time you're waiting around on God, remember Jonathan's absurd battle plan here. (laughs) Go do something. Move. But part of what I wanted to focus on in these last verses is the part where Jonathan and his boy climb up on his hands and feet to the battle. Did you catch that? They had to climb up. The, the hill was so steep that they couldn't like walk. They had to like bear crawl up the thing. And uh, I don't know if like, again, I'm just 
I don't want to make it sound like I have any idea what I'm talking about when it comes to battle, but like, I'm just saying, if I'm going to go fight somebody, I'm not bear crawling up to them. Was this, you know, you want to get down? It would be scary. I'd be intimidated by somebody doing that. Um, but you know, you, you, you want your feet out. You want to, you, you want, if you have a sword, you, you want to be able to like, but not on your hands and feet. So the last thing I want to see in this story, and this was necessary part of the story, is sometimes victory requires vulnerability. Sometimes victory requires vulnerability. They couldn't have gotten even into the battle without putting themselves in a position that was a little bit scary. That, that you don't, it was not ideal. You, you don't choose to bear crawl into battle. And this is why I think you as a Christian, you should not live your life in a way where you play it safe all the time. Some victories cannot be won from your comfort zone. Some victories cannot be won without risk. The only way to experience the fullness of God's power in your life is to sometimes put yourself in a situation where only God can save you, right? In order for God to catch you, you have to leap. In order for you to walk on water, you got to step out of the boat and you got to experience that pivotal moment. You know, when you swing your leg over and you shift your weight, you know, that, that microsecond where all of a sudden you would fall out if God hadn't done something. You have to actually choose that in order to experience God's power in your life. So I guess what I'm saying, I, I feel like so many Christians live this life where they only get to experience part of what God would do for them if they would just be a little bit more on offense than on defense in their life. If they would just step out. If they would make a decision to pursue it perhaps, to, to, to go even when it would be easier to stay. And I don't want that for you. I don't want you to live your life halfway in God's will, halfway just passively riding the wave of whatever hits you. I think to live a fully God-pleasing life, risk, risk is required. So yeah, it's not, just, it's not just that I think that risk is not wrong and that risk is not a necessary evil. I actually think risk is required for you to live a full Christian life. Remember the, the parable of the talents? Jesus when told that parable about that master who went on a journey, left three servants, one he gave five bags of silver, one he gave two bags of silver, one he gave one. And when the guy came back, the guy with five had invested those five and got five more. The guy with two had invested the two and got two more and the guy with one buried it. Well, two of them in the story took a risk, right? Investment requires risk. And one didn't, one played it safe. And when the master gets back, he does not say to the guy who invested his five talents, hey, would you, would you open me up to, to financial risk doing that for? Why'd you, why'd you risk my five to get another five? He doesn't say that, that the same thing to the guy with two. What'd you go do? What are you risking my two to, to get two more? What are you doing? No, he's actually super excited about what they did. He gets after the one who played it safe. And I think that's so important. I mean, think about that. What if that's the way, what if, again, that's God's mentality. He's not up in heaven going, please take the safest road to heaven. <laughs> what? <laughs> what if instead God's like, man, I wish my people would like, I don't know, like get after it a little bit more. I wish my people had a little bit more of the heart of Jonathan where they'd, they'd make some risky decisions and see what I would do. Where they'd, they'd step out and watch me actually catch him. Where they'd, they'd put their weight on that water and see if I can't just make that thing hold him even though it's not supposed to. Man, I want my people to live a little bit more, you know, <laughs> toes on the ledge. Don't, 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 don't play back here. 
What if God wants you out here? What if this is where he works, the edge of your comfort zone, that place that you you just don't want to go? What if this is where he works? Where are you going to use this in your life? What what part of your life uh, is this necessary right now? What part of your life are you playing it safe where God wants to nudge you out on the edge? Can I suggest, I'm biased, I don't know if you know that, that it's a, it's a part of your faith journey where you do this? Some of you are like, you're, you're applying this right now. You're like, that girl, I'm going to ask her out now. That's what I, and maybe that's it. Some of you, you should do it. But what if, what, what if it's somewhere in, in your next step of faith? That thing that you've been, you've been hesitant on, that thing that you've definitely felt God nudge you on before, but you're like, oh yeah, man, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it's generosity. Maybe you, you don't believe that if, you, if you're generous, God's going to actually catch you and your foot's kind of dangling over the edge and you're like, oh yeah, that, that would hurt. <laughs> and you don't want to. Maybe it's time to actually step off. Maybe, maybe it's uh, inviting that person to church. You've been doing that thing and you, you even like work yourself up for it. And then you're like, if you're like me, the introvert, you get inside your own head. Uh, you're just looking for the perfect opportunity in the conversation to actually say the thing. So you're always looking for this perfect moment, which there it isn't one, but you're waiting for that thing, for the pause, for the thing. And you never do. You haven't invited them. Man, maybe, maybe, maybe God's just like, just do it. See what I, see what I do with this. Or maybe it's serving somewhere. You've, you've been putting that off. You've been kind of spectating. God's nudging you to get involved, not just, not just spectate, but be a part of it. And you've been hesitating for whatever reason. Maybe that's the thing. Or maybe, guys, maybe it's leading your family spiritually. God wants you to step up and, and lead. And you've been hesitating, again, for whatever reason. I just want to say, man, what would your life look like if you lived a little bit like Jonathan, if you lived a little bit... <laughs> I'll call it recklessly. You allowed some risk into your life. You pursued a perhaps and then another and another and another. What would your life look like if God showed up in those? How different it would be. And what would a church look like if it, had, it was full of people who pursued their perhapses and went after it? And saw God move time and time again, not just taking down the 20, but making the earthquake and changing the entire landscape. Man, I want to see what God would do with that. Don't hesitate. Don't think that it's more godly to stay still. Sometimes I think you got to move. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much for the story. I thank you for Jonathan, for his heart, for being just a little bit on the edge, for being that young guy who's too stupid to know that he shouldn't do some things. Lord, I pray, and I maybe I'll regret this, Lord, but I pray for a little bit of youthful stupidity in this room, Lord. For a little bit of that, that edge, Lord. For that person right now who knows that you're nudging them, Lord. You're, you're working on somebody's heart right now that they should, they should step into something. And they're, they're, they're already starting to howl that thing to death. They're already starting to, to try and resist. Lord, I pray that they would just lean into it. I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we collectively would pursue a perhaps, that we would be that church that leaves room for you to move because we jump, Lord. Man, I want that to catch. I want that to be contagious, Lord. I want that to be like a wildfire going through this place. We live our life toes on the edge for you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.